children. Thank you, Donna. They've done that three times this morning. What troopers, huh? Well done. Well done.
May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6b. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. We shall be changed, be changed in a moment. We shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. How many of you have spent much time in the book of Revelations? It's, uh, it's a challenging book. Lots of folks find it 
baffling what's being talked about and an easy way to get your eyes crossed. Yet today's passage is one of those passages that speaks beyond whatever might be the contextual complexity of the book of Revelations. It just reaches out and calls to us and speaks clearly to us about an issue over which we struggle and yearn for, for clarity, the, the deepest yearning perhaps of our soul, trying to figure out, well, what happens? What indeed does happen when we die? Where is all of this headed? On behalf of God, John writes, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is not only the, the generating event at the beginning of creation, but God also is the one who stands at the end of it as well. When we think about this cosmically to all that exists, or when we think about it in our own personal lives, God is the Alpha and the Omega. And between these two points, in, in our own life or in the life of the cosmos, God is lovingly attentive. God is nurturing our spirits. God is tending to our wounds. God is strengthening and uplifting our hearts. Expanding our minds so we get out of our way and let it be God's way. Saving our souls. Once when asked what he thought about what happens after death, C.S. Lewis said that he was confident on the basis of his experience of God in this life that the same God who had so sought after him, had hounded him, he liked to use that word, and had found him in this life, would do the same in death. That God would not abandon him, God does not abandon us. We are not cast away or abandoned into death. We are ushered through it into life eternal. We might think of death as a threshold, the transom, the thing that you walk through to get from one place to another, from one room to another. Death as the threshold from life to life, with the Good Shepherd as our guide through that process. Many books have been written about near-death experiences that try to convey what the experience of death and the hereafter is like. 
The idea is that in the near-death experience, you get kind of a glimpse of, of what's unfolding and what's to come. And, and as you come back to life, then you put into words what that was for you. People consistently report that they have a hard time finding the words that describe what they experienced. But they feel compelled to, to share a story, to, to give an idea. They typically report a sense of leaving their body. They'll be elevated up above in the operating room, looking down on themselves, or at the crash site, looking at the paramedics and the car in which they were driving. They say it's a movement towards something or somewhere else, towards a light or a person or an image. What that something or somewhere is seems to be shaped by the person's belief system and by their expectations. Yet it seems to be more than wish fulfillment going on here. The folks who have had this experience, well, they swear about its truthfulness. They say that they're saying exactly what they understand they saw and heard and felt. And that we can trust that experience. They report that they are at first very startled about what's going on. And then that they find themselves immediately and, and willingly giving themselves over to whatever is happening to them. They report a feeling of goodness permeating, a, a feeling of peacefulness, of, of like bathing in lovingness, a general feeling that all is well, that all has been healed, of wholeness. They report that it's pleasant and it's desirous and that it's not discomforting that it's not fear-invoking. And as they're drawn back into their body, which apparently is they're coming back into consciousness, they find a moment of not wanting to let go of that, a hesitance. Yet they do, and they come back to consciousness, they come back to life, and then they try to find words to report, like I'm sharing with you their language, their words. Now, I don't know what your sense is about this, but I used to think this was all hooey, at least as a, a younger guy. But then as the years have accumulated in my life, I've developed a sensitivity and an openness for things that are not readily touchable, don't neatly fit into the rational box of things. I read a book some years ago by Eben Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon. He's a physician. 
His first book was called Proof of Heaven, a, a, a Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. Now, he, this, is, this just seems fantastical, the, all the stuff that he's writing, the different levels. It's almost Dante, but it's up towards heaven rather than towards hell. It's very, it's very full of imagery. It's, it's chock full of stuff. Yet, this guy came into this experience as this hard-nosed neurosurgeon that would broach no kind of talk about this kind of stuff. He knew better. He knew that there wasn't this kind of warm, fuzzy stuff going on in the soul in human life. Yet he had this experience, and he then had these visions. And he wrote another book. It's called uh, Proof of Heaven. How Science, Religion, and Ordinary People Are Proving the Afterlife. He's got a story to tell. And it's a fascinating story, though it's, it's a wild story. It's fascinating because he's this neurosurgeon that knows better. Right? That knows better. So I came across another book that I really enjoyed reading. It was recommended to me from a, uh, one of the professors at UCSD who had had a stroke. This book he found to be a hopeful book because it was about a woman who had worse of a stroke than he had, yet somehow remembered her experience and was cognizant through her experience, though her brain waves were non-existent, which just doesn't make any sense in the neurosurgical world. Yet this gal, Jill Bolt Taylor, a PhD, wrote this book about her experience, My Stroke of Insight, it's called, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. I found both these books interesting because they came at our thoughts about how life is constituted, how we live, what our, what's going on in our brains and what might be this soul thing that the religious community keeps talking about. It, it comes at it from a scientific point of view of a couple people who frankly are now just baffled about what they used to think was scientifically proven true. That there's more, there's more going on than what they can attest to scientifically in the brain. Maybe John of the Revelation knew something he was talking about. That there is a, a something more in life and in death, and in life again, that our faith is onto. How is it that we are so loved by God that even this aspect of life is permeated by God's mercy, God's gracefulness. We certainly have not earned it. 
If there's been one other thing that's accumulated all the years of my life is that we are less and less deserving, we humans, of the breaks we get from God. Nothing but merciful gift of grace. I don't think we can claim we deserve this kind of love. Yet we get this kind of love from God. Amen. Thanks be to God for this unmerited, unwarranted mercy that flows through this cosmos into our lives, into our experiences, into our death, and into our life again. Who can plumb the heart of God? Who can chart God's depth or height or breadth? The psalmists try. We thank them for their efforts. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them little lower than the gods and crowned them with glory and with honor. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Give praise and thanks to God for all that God is, because God is all of that for you. The God of the cosmos comes to us through the hands, through the heart of Christ Jesus and takes us to God's self in an embrace of love that transforms all of life, even death. We take strength, we take comfort in this affirmation of our faith. We are people of the resurrection. Some people think that death is the end of it all, it's the end of the road, it is a period, finale. Others think sentimentally that, that some kind of, of metamorphosis goes on in which the the deceased becomes part of the rain and is in the wind blowing in the leaves and is sparkling in the stars in the sky. And others talk about the immortality of the soul, kind of the platonic concept of a divine spark that continues on somehow in the darkness of the world, of the universe. Yet we Christians... We talk about resurrection, a rebirthing into a new life of some sort. It's different and it's distinguishable from this life, yet in some fashion it is recognizable from this life.
One of the great Methodist bishops, uh, Willimon, writes about Revelations and says, Resurrection promises a whole new world, a radical discontinuity with the pain and the frustration of life in this world, discontinuity that occurs because we are now near God in a healed, restored, wonderfully refashioned world. In that new creation, God will wipe away every tear from every eye, and there will be no more sadness, no more grief, no more death. Because God's gift of a new heaven and a new earth is upon us. It's the stuff of the new creation that God is working out throughout time through you and through me now. A new heaven and a new earth. It's the new Jerusalem and the gates are flung open and we are welcomed in. The banquet has been set and we're invited to join. It's a big step to cross the threshold from life to life. Yet it will be well with your soul when you take it. For the God that, the God that loves you now is there as well with arms open to welcome you home. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.